HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. to Let's Eat In. I'm your host, Kathy Irway. We're here at Roberta's Pizza, which is the home of Heritage Radio Network. And today's show is brought to you by TechServe. Just a quick note, TechServe is New York's premier um, Apple reseller and service provider. Um, They are serving individual customers, creative professionals, and Fortune 100 companies. And TechServe has built a solid reputation on its expertise in technology, sales, and service. And as a company that believes in honest and forthright business practices, TechServe is proud to sponsor Heritage Radio Network in the promotion of sustainable lifestyles. To support sustainability in New York City, TechServe is holding an e-waste recycling drive on Saturday, April 10th, and two weekends from now, from 10 to 10 to 4 p.m. For, for more information, go to TechServe.com. So that's our wonderful sponsor, and uh, we're just so happy that they're supporting this radio station. Um, so today, uh, another rainy Monday in Brooklyn, uh, the cusp of uh, spring is definitely um, on the way. Actually, it's officially spring. What am I talking about? Um, so I hope uh, everybody had a great weekend. Everyone's having a great Passover tonight. Um, hope you have that brisket in the pot right now, bubbling. I don't, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> but maybe next year. There's always hope. We actually um, had a great dinner or actually brunch yesterday at Jimmy's 43. It's a wonderful beer bar in the East Village. And we had a guest chef from from uh, Copenhagen, Trina Hanman. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So Trina was a guest chef yesterday and she served her um, smorgasbord um, of Danish delights. And she's also the author of the the Scandinavian cookbook and the Nordic diet. Any other books am I missing here? Uh, not in English. They're all in Danish. So, the rest hopefully, of them. <laughs> hopefully soon then. And uh, what's your um, catering company called again? It's called Hahnemann's Kitchen, mm-hmm. and it's based in Copenhagen. Great. Anytime you're in Copenhagen, please look this this uh, group up. I'm sure it's going to be delightful. And everything that was served yesterday got just 
I, I think it was amazing, but everybody seemed to really enjoy it. It was really authentic, fresh, and uh, all the all the food was, you know, locally sourced as usual here. That must have been a challenge for you, though, just trying to... Yeah, there were some few things we had to give up, but uh, we did a really good job, Jimmy and me, figuring it out during the week. So It always yeah. comes together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we also have Claire Harton here. Thanks so much for being here. Hi. Claire was kind of like the glue that put together... Um, this event yesterday. Claire is a friend of Jimmy's as well as Trina's and uh, you work on the Dirt Cafe project. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, it's, a interdisciplinary, it's an interdisciplinary collaborative project that we've been doing internationally, um, various partners since 2004 based in uh, London, but it's an experimental project. And then on top of that, we do other things that grow out of that and one of them um, incubated and became relationships between Trina and Jimmy and me and and Saxelby and all sorts of others and we sort of oh I think this just went on <laughs> um, and we we sort of try to join up people and use the social interactions to do meaningful projects and it sounds like your last event went really well and unfortunately I couldn't make it but I heard you know it was a very successful group of people that came, a lot of experts in various um, fields, scientists you were saying, showed up to lend their expertise um, to all these great projects in the works. And who? Well, uh, um, in general, I mean, in, in projects, Trina and I often talk about, um, along with peers like Carolyn Steele, Jimmy Garboni, um, three people from the Urban Design Lab at Columbia University, Maria Palasuto is a scientist and design researcher at Columbia University. Um, Michael Conard, Kubi Ackerman, lots of amazing people. And we, with chefs and restaurateurs and very hands-on frontline people that are, um, whether it's uh, Davy Hughes, who runs Union Square, is one of the people who runs Union Square Green Market. Um, we try to take the hands-on frontliners and mix them together with very serious specialists, economists, scientists, um, green chemists, engineers, architects, and try to really enhance the creative problem-solving process. But we think it begins with a meal, and it begins with those powerful friendships, empathy, trust, and from there we can do more things. That's terrific. I, I totally agree with you. Start off with a good meal. <laughs> and who doesn't want to, you know, stay motivated? Um, can you tell me anything in the works, maybe, that came out of the last Dirt Cafe or or is going on right now? Uh, well, we, we always kind of watch because it's a very private, quiet little project, and... Um, we don't do any PR, there's no publicity, any press that's involved with it are actually participants of it. So someone like a blogger, Carrie, Carrie Truman, was actually a participant in it rather than there to cover it because we hope to transform the way they do things and see things in their relationships too. But I've heard that Kate Bakewell, who's an architect, has followed up with Anne Saxelby, who's a Anne Saxelby cheesemonger. And she has a show oh. here on Sundays. And the um, they're stirring the idea that Anne's been dreaming about for years since I moved back from London to New York four years ago. And she's been talking about what a great, wonderful thing it would be for the community in the Lower East Side to transform the roof of the Lower East Side, or the Essex Market into not only a community gardening garden, but a composting place. So it's a big dream. It's far off. But Kate is an architect and Anne are now sort of stirring that up as a relationship and idea. That is really exciting. Wonderful. Whether, whether it goes somewhere, so, we'll see, but it started. Wow. Thanks for sharing the top secret uh, <laughs> news. That's really cool. I can't wait to hear. Um, I'm sure there's lots of, um, you know, so there's going to be a composting. Can it be a community compost? Well, like they're, drop off they're trying to, at this point, it's so early on. It's just them stirring the idea. They found each other. So architect and 
somebody has a shop in Essex Market, but from what I understand, they're going to try to put a proposal together, talk to the EDC. So there's a long distance between here and getting right, it done. Right, sure, yeah. But it's those powerful it's partnerships. And, you know, I hear more and more um, whenever I have a, a guest or just talk to somebody that is um, involved in urban farming, composting comes up first and foremost. It's like the beginning stage. It's like what you need to focus on first before understanding how everything else falls in place. I've been hearing that, and I, I'm slightly surprised to hear such an emphasis on it. Um, Trina, is composting something that is very, um, I don't know, more commonly done in, uh, where you're, where you live in Copenhagen or? Um, not for the restaurants. Yes. For the restaurants. Yes. But, but for regular households, we only, it's only, no, we don't compost, but we, we, we have the bottles aside and the paper and all of that, but no, you recycle. No, we, we, yeah, that's, I can remember that. We recycle, but we don't compost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's hard because it's um, something that obviously needs to be collected and uh, in order to facilitate people to actually do it. But we do um, it, just we, like we do in restaurants, and we have done for the last ten or fifteen yeah. years. I've, all the times I've been in this, ten or fifteen maybe years, maybe more. All the times I've been in industry, we have done compost. That's amazing. So whenever you're chopping an onion, you have the peel. You yeah, in we, the call compost. It, we, we call it the pig bin. bin. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what it's called. And then it's collected twice a week and taken to the farmers. So, Are you just amazed at how barbaric we are here in New York City that we don't do that for the last 10, 20 years and still going strong? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not amazed about it. I, mm. I think it's uh, it's if it doesn't make sense, it won't happen. And right. now suddenly it's making sense. It's It has to be doable and economically wise Mm -hmm. and so many things that goes into it before people can make that decision and that change right i think people need to understand why it's valuable yeah Yeah. why why a century ago yeah century ago we did collect it in new york and 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 we got our efficiency systems up in big system cities london new york for example um but i've been hearing good things that such as vienna is now up to 40 percent um, composting, and that's a new program. So one always thinks these things happen in places like uh, San Francisco because of their culture and the buy-in from the political will from the mayor's level. And then I've been talking to two of our other peers and collaborators from the Dirt Cafe Project, Sarah Bilney and Patricia Michelson at La Fromagerie in London, and they've been, you know, very interested in this for years. And so people are pushing from the inside. Mm-hmm. And do you think maybe the Essex Market Project will be a good model for? Um yeah, small small scale yeah. all over the city, and then we also need massive scale. Yeah. <laughs> we need we need them to run in tandem, the big systems for the city, and then on top of that, the little demonstrative things that each peop- person can contribute to yeah. in neighborhoods. That's great, yeah, because what I've been seeing is, you know, more people are farming, more people are gardening, I should say, in their backyards and wherever, and they're realizing, hey, uh, what, you know, these, you know, garden scraps and... Maybe they have chickens, and so that scraps. It all is part of that, your little ecosystem in the garden. So um, it's b- turning a lot of people on to composting, I think. Hopefully. We'll see. Yeah. So uh, what else is um, unique to cooking in Denmark as opposed to New York City? Because I, I know uh, we had a we had a fun day yesterday, but there was a lot of, you know, there's a tiny kitchen, which is great. You know, we're happy to take over that kitchen yeah, yeah. at Jimmy's. Yeah, we and did. <laughs> we really did. And use as much of it as possible every inch um but what you know I, I think you were telling me at one point that there's a lot more guidelines restrictions and just general kitchen i don't know rules 
that you're used to in commercial. Yeah, the, we have much tougher rules than you do. There's both has to do with the working environment and the health and safety. Of the uh, food, yeah. Not both the food, but also the people working there. Yeah. So it's, um, in that sense, it's very different. And, and it's cleaner. It's for, the san- it's for the cleanliness overall. Oh, it's for the cleanliness, but it's also about people who work there. So you have to have daylight in the kitchen. Yeah, in Denmark, yeah. you're not allowed to work in the kitchen without daylight. Without windows or <laughs> without sunlight. Without sunlight. And you're not, um, and there's all these rules about how much room you have to have. and Per person. Uh, per, yeah. yeah, per person. And tables have to be in the right height so they have to be adjustable mm-hmm. and um like working hours can... are different and you know minimum wage lots of things but you also have to remember i come from a little tiny country five million people mm-hmm. it's so easy to control and you know <laughs> what i mean it's 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 doable everything is doable in denmark or in scandinavia because we we are so good models to try out new things because small countries mm-hmm. very very accessible Interesting. So, um, okay. So, um, tell me a little bit about your project that uh, you mentioned um, that you're going to garden and then in your in the city yeah. and then in the in the farm yeah. in the country. In the country. What, I'm what? I'm doing. I mean, Scandinavia seasons are very very important. Still, mm-hmm. I mean, we we uh, especially if you go to the top of Nor- if you go to the northern parts of Norway, it's really difficult to get so many things up there. So we also a bit some parts of the Scandinavia are very excluded. But Denmark season- seasonality is really really important. And um, so I'm doing a project to try to um, see h- how I can grow some very uh, exotic things in my in my in the front yard of my house which is a tiny house in middle of Copenhagen okay. and then my mom she has a huge garden where she has a big vegetable garden herb garden and she's a she's she's an amateur um, gardener okay. and she's going to do a we're going to do a greenhouse one in her garden which would be a big a bit bigger than mine and I'm going to do one in my front yard and we're going to grow ginger lemongrass chilies and tomatoes and see how it goes and what the differences would be between urban and 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 in the country oh, that's the amazing and to see what's the differences in the sunlight what's the differences is it hotter in the city whatever right, all I these bet things a lot that we'll go through yeah and we'll write about it and um we will film it and um we'll this is a for the whole summer i really can't wait to see what yeah. will happen yeah and why do you choose these exotic uh because they travel, they travel from afar, and and green to grow tomatoes in Denmark in greenhouses is really really expensive because we heat up the greenhouse. I mean, you have all these paradoxes in sustainability. Everybody says buy locally, but if you buy local Danish tomatoes, they actually um, <laughs> use much more energy, energy growing yeah. in a in a greenhouse than right. than eating them from Spain that has been you know driven up to 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 Denmark. It's a better idea to to buy organic uh, Spanish tomatoes and to buy. Uh, they used to marry most of yeah. the time, uh, unless it's in August, and they are. But all greenhouses are uh, nowadays not uh, warmed up with the sun. It's it's right. fuel is used. I think so. that that's um, something that that's so worthy of being more aware of. You know, you yeah. don't grow cranberries in a desert, like no, <laughs> or no. try to. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of paradoxes that you have to look into all the time, and there's not necessarily one answer. Mm-hmm. That's that's the whole problem. But I think for for where I come from, the, the the seasons are extremely important, and our seasons are not like one month or three months or something. We have a asparagus season; it's between three or six weeks. We mm-hmm. have strawberry seasons. Some years it's 
two months, some years it's three oh, weeks. Okay. And that's it. And we and then the strawberries are the best in the world. So eat them when they're there. I mean, and gotta I, eat them now. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think it plays a, still a very big role in our, in our food culture. Um, the Being aware of that. Yeah. That's great. Um, we're just going to take a quick uh, song break. And Trina, you picked a song. What is it? This is the Danish band called Blue Foundation. And it's one of my favorite bands. And this is a number called Bonfire. And I really love this song. Thanks so much. We'll be right back. And I'm quite all right. You wash my tears away. Let's eat in. I'm your host, Kathy Irway. Um, today's show is brought to you by TechServe. Thanks so much for our Heritage Radio Network engineer, Jack, and uh, and uh, producer, sorry, Jack, and engineer, Nat Wiener. Um, we have uh, Trina Hanneman and Claire Harton today on the show. And uh, Trina, I'm looking at your book right now. I got to tell you, it's it's called the Scandinavian Cookbook. It's So it's the de- de- definitive Scandinavian cookbook, and I can't think of um, a better-looking book than this. I was flipping through it on the subway last night, and somebody was leaning over my shoulder, just gawking at it. And they were like, you have to <laughs> tell me what cookbook that is. And I, I told them all about it, actually. I, I kept them sitting there, and I was... It, yeah, it was. Um, I, I just can't wait to te- tear into these recipes. So um, yesterday we made a smorgasbord. What what exactly is a smorgasbord? What does it have to be? A smorgasbord is a open sandwich. And the most important part of it is a piece of rye bread. And then it you, has to be rye. It has to be rye. It's it, that. First of any, all, any rye, you know, Jewish and uh, not holla, uh, you know. Yeah, you could use, it has to be a sour, made on a sourdough, and it can't be a sweet rye bread. It has to be salty kind of rye bread. I've never had yeah. a sweet, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and it, it's, um, and on, on top of that, you make all these combinations with either fish or meat uh, or or just vegetables. And um, you have a beautiful open sandwiches. And some of the combinations we had yesterday were like, Marinated herring with a beetroot and apple salad with horseradish, and you that grated all great. the ho- horseradish. <laughs> you grated all the horseradish, <laughs> yeah. and I. So you cried. I was I, like, yeah. yeah, I sneezed. <laughs> I yeah, cried. Yeah. And oh. there was um, a mackerel salad. There was a, a boiled potato. You boiled potatoes and cut them in slices. Put it on the rye bread with a herb marinade mm-hmm. and some radishes and that was beautiful. And spring onions on top. So it's it's yeah. It has a lot of rules what you can combine, but it's. Um, 
I think it's a really lot tasty. of I think a lot of people like the meatball one. Oh too. yeah, yeah, meatballs. Yeah. Can you tell the story of how is sh- the diff- well? First of all, the difference between a smorgasbord and sh- schmolbrot is that how you say it? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm and, looking at this and recipe. also where where these open faced sandwiches came from is in in the 20th century because they're kind yeah. of a new thing. Yeah, I mean, they in 19th century or 18th century people would just take to the field when they had to have a lunch with them they would take a piece of bread some fat and some cold cut from the day before or just the fat and the bread depending on what kind of food they had and then from that on it grew cold cuts came piece of fish from last night and then the early 20s 1920s it became more elaborated so Mm. because it goes so well with beer so they became you know, more elaborated with all these combinations like you saw them yesterday. Because when you went to restaurants, uh, it didn't take a long time to eat. You had one or two and you could eat it in half an hour. And that made you had more time dancing. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so and from it goes the, well with beer. Yeah. Is, <laughs> why did we have a brunch yesterday? Why didn't we have a dinner? <laughs> so... Well, and, and also, Trina, how it's it's sort of not brunch, it's lunch, right? Yeah, it's because a lunch. Scandinavians yeah. don't yeah. have brunch. We don't have brunch. It's something the American taught us. So. I, I don't have brunch either. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I, I just wrote a book in Danish said, enough of brunch, we want lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I am so, all about it. I yeah. am actually mm. really eager to uh, start focusing on lunch as my next uh, yeah. blog concept. But um, And I, I can't wait. Cause, so, so you said this was kind of like a you bring it with you when you have to go to work, this bread, and yeah. then you top it. Yeah. So it's a real working class meal yeah, idea, yeah, concept. Yeah it, yeah, it it goes through all classes, but of course it, they become more elaborated uh, the more things you put on them. And you and, and the ones we had yesterday, you couldn't put them in a lunch, but it would be too smushy and, you know, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be really nice. Yeah, so it'd be more sure. You have to put it of, together yeah, once th- you're That would be ready. more like just a piece of bread, some butter or fat, and then a piece of meat on top, and that's it. Now, I've never actually tasted anything like your rye bread, and I'm looking at the recipe right now. It was so flavorful. Yeah. It tasted, I could just eat that alone. It does have buttermilk in it, so it has a little uh, fat, which is interesting. Um, but what else about it? I, I know it was, uh, I don't know, your sourdough. Is there anything per- particular to it? Yeah, you have to, you have to make this your own sourdough because that's a culture that will make your bread uh, rise and it will the whole taste and everything is building on your start your sourdough starter and i have one at home that's 30 years old so i use it for all my rye bread and the rye bread there's also one specific thing about it is that is really healthy that all that thing about we can't eat bread it's <laughs> it's not really true there's lots of very unhealthy bread on very poor quality flour but th- but really nice quality flour and also the rye is so healthy there's vitamin k there's protein there's this, from the amino yeah, acids yeah yeah from the starter yeah and it's also has you use the whole grain when mm. you when you um, that had a lot of nice yeah. grains in it too you had like yeah. sesame seeds in there on top uh, sesame that's just yeah that's just to put some flavor you could do anything you wouldn't necessarily have to have any seeds it's the whole rye and and the rye flour and when you do that and it's a whole whole wheat no you so say it's a you yeah, use the dark. whole rye mm-hmm. so when you um, when you make the flour, all the nutrition is outside on the grain is in there, and it's it's what's outside the grain that's where the nutrition where is, the husk, and all yeah. the all the minerals and vitamins are in the husk. Is that mm-hmm. yeah? 
Amazing. So, yeah. It was it tasted incredible. I mean, you've got to write a bread book next, <laughs> next time, <laughs> yeah. I hope. You have, you have somebody actually here in New York who could talk to you in depth about it if you wanted to go into bread, and her name's Claudia Keel, and she's the head of the Traditional Food Guild, as well as um, a nutritional support specialist and um, flower essence specialist, but she knows a lot about um, the complexity on a healing, body okay. healing, nutrition side, and she's also part of the whole Dirt Cafe project, but she... Um, She's, she really could tell you what's in it and how mm-hmm. it goes how through it. our body. And also she addresses people's rising gluten insensi- or gluten sensitivities because right. a lot of people come to her with gluten sensitivities. And she tries to raise the resilience of their gut so that they can actually digest um, Yeah, things. but uh, rye bread is really low in gluten because is. gluten is what is in wheat. And that's what makes a, a kind of the dough stick together when you bake. And that's the reason why when you do rye bread, it you always have to have a, a, a baking form to mm, put the rye I dough see. into it because it will it will just it's so Fun. runny. Yeah, interesting. So and that's because there's so little gluten in it. When it, it's like when you do spelt as well, mm-hmm. very little gluten will make will have there's no elasticity in the bread and there and it won't stick together. So so you and it's actually if you if you do a, a bread just on wheat. You can rinse out the gluten in water and then try to bake it, mm-hmm. and it's a fun thing to see what the difference is. It, it, and a gluten-free bread, it's it's very different in texture and yeah, in taste. Definitely, yeah. this this tasted like I'm really turning on to the uh, the sourdough now. Yeah. I, I think it's it sounds like the way to go. Claire, you're the best in recommending people too. <laughs> well, gluten's gluten's fascinating too because it's 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 able to because it's so elastic it's able to capture pockets of air as you bake and that's what makes it fluffy pancakes fluffy um, bread fluffy and so that bread you had yesterday that Trina by the way baked in Copenhagen and dragged over in her suitcase (laughs) that you can't imagine how heavy that suitcase was I thought she'd brought over rocks for me Um, and (laughs) I picked up the suitcase next time thanks um, Trina for the rocks (laughs) she did bring me oyster shells from my oyster shell collection so that was very nice Oh, terrific. Why do you have an oyster shell collection? Um, Well, it's an ongoing... (laughs) Oh, it's just such a big question. (laughs) Oh, God. It's the idea of being able to eventually um, map out where oysters are slowly being regrown and regenerated in waters and where also people have enjoyed and eaten them. So so they come with stories of where they were harvested, where they're eaten, who ate them. Yeah. And eventually, hopefully, they'll become an oyster map on a ceiling or somewhere. Yeah. Um, and on my birthday this year, um, my good friend, Katrine Clinton, who is a chef as well and me- been here to New York with us. She's the uh, head of Slow Food in, in Copenhagen. Okay. She's been out the day before collecting oysters in the sea around the coast where we live. So she brought me a big box of her own the oysters she'd collected herself for my birthday party. That was oh, really wow. special. And I had to save the shells and bring them to New York and give them to Claire. (laughs) So eventually these will, people will be able to read the stories that go along with the food. And and it'll sort of just in the beautiful ambiance and using light and shadow, hopefully then create an ambiance situation, you know, beautiful, but maybe for an interior for a dirt cafe project. I can't wait. Yeah. It's like mapping. Mapping a food story for the oysters. Exactly. The whole story behind them. That is fascinating. So hopefully something to chew on next time or slurping on, slurping down oysters. Yeah, yeah. save me some, me, save me some of your shells next time, Kathy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to if I had some. Um, but, you know, speaking of oysters, I do love to ask everybody on the show um, a few questions. Uh, you know, one in particular, um, speaking of oysters, romantic foods, 
so-called aphrodisiac foods. What do you guys think is like the best thing to cook on a date? Trina. For me, that would be lobster and gnocchi in a chili sauce. What? What is gnocchi? Gnocchi. The Italian uh-huh. gnocchi. Oh, gnocchi. Yeah. yeah. Lobster yeah. gnocchi with a chili sauce. Yeah. That's my... Spicy and succulent. That sounds great. Yeah. Good and idea. A, and a really nice glass of champagne with that. Okay. Sparkling. I like it. That sounds good. How about you, Claire? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I do I do love oysters. I, 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 okay, I'll just go with the oysters at this point. I think a really lovely thing was going out to the tip of the North Fork of Long Island, um, where I also had our wedding, and uh, an oyster grower friend, Mike Osinski, took us out. We harvested wild seafood with him that were mussels and samphire, which is what uh, Americans call sea beans, and also ate, harvested some of his oysters and... Um, and just cracked them all open in his kitchen, and we all sat around, and then, I mean, I, I don't know uh, if that's so much romantic. No, no, I love <laughs> the, the activity behind it. You harvested them, and then there's nothing more satisfying than cracking open an oyster, yeah. too. And just getting really close to the ocean and the sea and the smell of it, and then eating the food, that's really, um, I mean, it changes the way you remember the food forever. Yeah, I, I my sister, she's a chef as well. She's, um, her name is Scylla. And she has a few sushi restaurants in London. And she uh, she went to Africa to a little island called Lamu. Mm-hmm. And she uh, then she had a, she was actually teaching uh, African chefs to do sushi down there. Oh wow! And she went on a boat, and the guy who took her and her husband out, he just had a lemon in front, and she had no idea why he had a lemon. That was all. There were a bottle of water and a lemon, and he took they they were you know sailing in this boat for like forty five minutes, and then he sat. He said, "Please sit on this little rock," and they sat on this little rock, and then he started diving. And he brought up oysters and gave them to her, them. And they just had the lemon and the oysters and were oh. sitting there together. And she just, when she came back, she texted me, I've just been to the best Michelin restaurant in the oh, world. <laughs> what else do you need? Yeah. A lemon and an oyster. Okay, that, I, I think pretty. I thought of a romantic one. Um, okay. A little, a little house, a little, a little restaurant called Three Chimneys. It's on the uh, northern end She's of, trying the, to of the Isle of Skye. <laughs> <laughs> and no, but it reminds me of that directness that Scylla talked about. Yeah. That, and the chef at this tiny little restaurant that has maybe 10 tables said that everything comes within 10 mile radius of, of the restaurant, everything that she uses in the restaurant. But she said everything. Forget 100 mile, 10 miles, next challenge. And I she like said that. everything that, that uh, everything had changed for when, when the fishermen had gotten mobile phones because they could call in and the small catches and say, we've got this, this, and this. Would you like that? And she said these kind of fun texting and relationships and calling back and forth started that didn't ha- wasn't there without the mobile phone. She would have had to go to the fish market. And I just, by chance, yeah. it just was so when we ate dinner there, we felt like we had uh, benefited from this like rich interaction of people who had moved back to the Isle of Skye and had chosen to have their careers there, but weren't as isolated as they might have been socially. That's incredible. And now I'm feeling very starved of these romantic <laughs> eating experiences. I kind of I got to go to North Fork or Scandinavia sometime really soon. Actually, I think I hope I will be. Um, so where can we find out? I, we're just about out of time, unfortunately. Um, but where can we find out more about your work, your upcoming, you know, writing about the garden? Um, is it going to be on your blog? Yeah, Trina? it's going to mm-hmm. be on my website, which is uh, trinahaneman.com. Dot com. Yeah. Great. So I will blog about it and hopefully if I can figure it out I'm not that good with technology but we'll see and um, put small um, small videos there from oh, what my wait. mother and I are doing 
Good luck with that. Thank I you really, very much. That's so exciting. And uh, I will be cooking your recipes in the meantime. This beautiful book. Let me know what you think. I Send will. Me an email. <laughs> I will, definitely. <laughs> and tr um, sorry, Claire, you're, uh, dirtcandy.com or oh, oh, Dirt Cafe. Dirt sorry. Cafe. Well, what am I talking not, about? There's not, it's not, very, it's not a really a name. <laughs> it's not really a pu public project, so I'm not sure people are going to find very much on it. It's a research project. Mm -hmm. But um, we mm -hmm. are hoping to have some nice dinners in perhaps my garden as well as Jimmy's with Great. Trina when she comes back with um, the Nordic um, diet, the diet book and so that we can really explore that book more in the next year. Yeah, that will be next year. But this fall we want to do a, a, a dinner about where we discuss some sustainable issues and I'll cook up some really nice local food. I would love to way. be there grating the horseradish yeah, and otherwise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I, and I think you're going to keep going with Jimmy and, and, yeah, and, yeah. The, and the, the Danish lunches at Jimmy's yeah. on weekends. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, you can always stay tuned to Jimmy's blog then for, for more on these great projects and dinners and deliciousness. Um, so thanks again so much, guys. Um, I'm really, really excited to see what, what's going to happen next. Um, it's about all the time we have here today. Um, today's show is brought to you by TechServe. We'll be back next week with Anna LePay, um, author of Diet for a Hot Planet.